So for the sermon, you may remember from last week, we just started a new series looking at the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. We're going to be continuing in this series, of course. Uh, and we're going to be in chapter 2, so you can open up your Bibles if you have them. Uh, turn there to chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And we're just going to get right at it and, and jump right in. So I'll read for us, as we usually do. We kind of go through verse by verse, do all the teaching, and then apply what we've learned. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writing here to the Philippian church. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And I'm just going to pause there. In a sense, sort of what is Paul saying at this point? Uh, in a sense, he's saying, if you're a Christian, and all these things that he's described, I'll kind of pick it apart, but sort of these are all attributes that would rightfully describe Christians. If you're really a believer, if you're really a follower of Christ, then hey, do this that I'm going to be about to tell you. This is what he's going to say as we read on. Then make my joy complete. He's already said, right, if we sort of rewind to last week, kind of remember a little bit um, that just this Philippian church was just a great source of joy to him, right? This was a church he planted on his second missionary journey as he was there in Philippi. They're like spiritual children of his. So he already has a sense of great joy over them. And he's saying now here, right, if you really are followers of Christ, and of course you can sort of add Paul saying, and I know that you are, then, then this joy that I already have in you, just, just complete it. Take it to the next level. Make it complete by doing, and we'll get there with regard to what he says there to do. So he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, again, these are all sort of attributes that would describe anyone who's truly a follower of Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, all of us who have true saving faith in the Lord, we are united with Christ. And as we're united with him, of course, his atoning work is applied to us. Our sins paid for, we're forgiven, we're saved, we have everlasting life. And that ought to be a source of great encouragement, right? That we belong to Christ, that we are his, that we're united with him in his death and resurrection, that, that our sin has been paid for, that we have everlasting life in store for us, that we're children of God. This ought to be a source of great encouragement. So again, this, this is true of any believer. We ought to have encouragement from being united with Christ. And he goes on, if any comfort from his love, again, all of us as, as, as true followers of the Lord, we stand in, in this special love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has this special deep love for us, his people, his church. And again, that ought to be a source of just great comfort to us to know we're his, we're Christ's, we belong to him. And he has this wondrous, unfathomably great love for us, his dear people. That ought to be a source of great comfort to us. If any fellowship with the Spirit, again, all of us who are true followers of the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have fellowship with the Spirit. And he goes on also, if any tenderness and compassion, and again, this is something that is followers of Christ, doesn't mean we live it out perfectly, but we ought to be characterized by tenderness and compassion. And again, so he's basically saying, hey, if you guys are really followers of Christ, and again, you could sort of put in, in parentheses here, sort of, and I know you are, my spiritual children, I know you. If you're really followers of Christ, and I know you are, well then, make my joy complete. I'm already filled with such abundant joy over you, my spiritual children, but just take it to the next level. Make it complete by doing what? And he goes on and says, make my joy complete 
by being like-minded. We're going to see this is all language as we read on. This is language of unity. This is something Paul's concerned about. Uh, we see it in, in many of his epistles. This is something Paul is concerned about in the body of Christ. He doesn't want to see division and factions and churches torn apart. Uh, he wants to see unity in the body of Christ. And so that's a concern of his. Just even look at it. It's not like things have changed in our day and age today. It's not uncommon to see churches divided over some sort of issue. And, you know, there's sort of factions and people take sides. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you know, a huge chunk of the church is saying, we're going to leave, we're going to split and go off over here and start our own church. These types of things happen. And so Paul's concerned. Nothing has changed in this case, right? And we ought to be concerned today. I know New Hope Chapel is a church with unity, but nonetheless, it's something that scripture talks about a lot, unity in the body of Christ. And, and Paul wants to see this unity and so this is what he's talking about. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. And here the same love is sort of what he wants to see is brothers and sisters in Christ loving one another in a deep Christ-like way and everyone having that same type of love for one another. Not like, oh, you know, Christian A really loves Christian B within the church in a deep Christ-like way, but Christian B doesn't really love Christian A that that much, right? You know, you could sort of insert names or whatnot. He wants to see that that love characterizing everyone, that everyone has that same love, that same wonderful Christ-like love for one another. And again, if the church is going to be characterized by deep Christ-like love and everyone's sort of exhibiting that love for one another, there's going to be unity in the body of Christ there. And again, if everyone's sort of like-minded, we'll sort of get this language of, of like-mindedness again, so I'll talk about it more. But if people are like-minded, that's going to foster unity in the body of Christ as well. So make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and then it goes on, being one in spirit and purpose, uh, probably the way I would translate it, not, not that that's a bad translation, but I, I would probably translate it a little more like of one mind thinking the same. Again, sort of really much like how he started uh, this verse here or, or after then make my joy complete by being like-minded, he said, and then he goes on having the same love. And then of one mind, kind of the same thing as being like-minded and going on thinking the same. Again, the same thing is sort of like-minded of one mind. It, what does he have in view here, right? Of course, like-mindedness, but, but let's be a little more specific. It's sort of being centered on Christ. That, that in a sense, his people, they all have sort of the same mindset. And that mindset is, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Christ Jesus. That's sort of our central focus. That's what we're all about. We just want to, to live for him and we want to obey him and we want to, to serve for him, serve him. Everything is just sort of centered on Christ, living for him. That's sort of the sole singular purpose. We're all about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're all about God and just living for him and obeying him and serving him to have that same like-mindedness throughout the whole body of Christ. And again, if everyone's sort of thinking the same, and again, not just thinking the same, but thinking the right thing in the same way, all thinking the same thing that is the right thing, being focused on Christ, well, then you're going to see unity in the body of Christ rather than everyone has their own sort of way of thinking and they're all focused on different things and, and, and you know, serving different purposes and intents. And again, you'd see sort of different factions arising and we're all about this and, you know, a different group in the church. You know, we're all about this and butting heads and disunity, discord. But if we're all sort of like-minded, again, focused on the right thing, Christ Jesus, and just living for him, serving him, obeying him, it's going to foster unity in the body of Christ. And then he goes on, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves, right? So 
Don't, don't be focused on sort of having the mindset of selfish ambition where you're just sort of all about yourself and, and, and sort of puffed up in, in pride and all about me and, and advancing myself and this ambition, having sort of that, that prideful, arrogant mindset. If you think of sort of that mindset, if you're characterized by selfish ambition, everyone's just sort of filled with this pride and they just want their ego stroked. And so there's this ambition. I just want to be the greatest and the best. And it's all about me. And I think I am the best and everything, every idea I have is golden and better than everyone else's. If everyone in the church is thinking that way, you're going to have a lot of division within the church. Everyone's saying, I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm the greatest thing, my way's the only way, and everyone's doing that, you're all gonna butt heads and you're gonna have division within the church. And so he says, don't do that, don't sort of have that mindset, sort of a selfish ambition sort of mindset, vain conceit, but rather he says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, right? If you wanna see unity in the body of Christ, then there needs to be humility, not, not pride. If this pride, right, again, it's gonna tear down a church, but if there's humility, it will naturally foster unity within the body of Christ. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves, right? We have to be characterized by humility. Again, our natural disposition is we just sort of, you know, don't think that we're the greatest and the best thing in the world, but we sort of view ourselves in appropriate humility. Naturally, we're going to sort of be uh, esteeming others as higher than ourselves, above ourselves. And again, if, if everyone sort of has that humble mindset where we humble ourselves before the Lord, but also we're just sort of humble in how we interact with others and sort of elevating others above ourselves rather than thinking, no, I'm going to elevate myself above everyone else because I'm the greatest thing. I'm the best. But again, if we're humble, we esteem others above ourselves, that's going to result in unity within the body of Christ. We're going to be willing to listen to what others might have to say in their opinions. We're going to yield to others. We're not going to say, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, my ideas are the only ideas, and it must be what I have to say or what I think, right? Uh, that's sort of that prideful mindset that's going to cause division. But in humility, right, it's just naturally, as we operate in humility, considering others better than ourselves, it's gonna foster unity within the body of Christ. So this is sort of Paul's mindset here. He's gonna to continue to, to go on and talk about humility here, but sort of big picture before we even get on with our, our next verses here. The starting point of Paul's mindset here is, I wanna see unity in the body of Christ. And toward that end, we need to see humility within the body of Christ. Because if there's pride, naturally, that's just gonna create factions and divisions and tear churches apart. But if we want to see that unity, there needs to be appropriate humility. So now he's going to focus on humility. So let's read on. Really, he gets to the heart of humility in verse 5. But, but we'll read, of course, we're not going to skip over verse 4. We'll read it as well. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And again, this is one more thing that's going to foster unity in the body of Christ. Uh, if you're looking not just to your own interests, right? If you're sort of selfish and you're thinking it's all about me, and again, then, you know, extrapolate from that. Imagine if everyone in the body of Christ was thinking it's just about me and my own self-interest. You know that church isn't going to last long. Everyone's just going to be in it for themselves and tear the church apart. But if everyone's mindset is, is the flip of that, right? The flip side, instead saying it's not just about me and my own interests, but, but really, I, I'm going to look to the interests of others. I care about others, and I want what, you know, what's in their best interest. I, I want what's best for them, and we're putting other interests alongside of our own, but not even just alongside of, but even above our own interests. If we're all looking out for others, that's going to foster unity in the body of Christ. And again, not only that, but to tie it in with humility, this is naturally something that flows out of humility and also the love that he talks about before uh, in verse 2, where he says, having the same love. 
this looking not just to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, flows out of love for others, but it also flows out of uh, uh, humility. Uh, if we view ourselves as the biggest, greatest, best thing, we're going to think, well, then it's all about me, and it's all going to be about my own interests. But if we naturally view ourselves in sort of a low, humble manner, and we're esteeming others better than ourselves, above ourselves, we're naturally going to look out for them, that we're esteeming above ourselves, and look out for their interests above our own. And so it naturally flows out of humility as well, and again, fosters unity in the body of Christ. But now Paul really gets to this topic of humility. Again, in the context of unity, his, his, his big thing that he's focused on here is we want to see unity in the body of Christ. But toward that end, we have to see humility because if there's not humility, you're not going to really see unity in the body of Christ. And so now in speaking of humility, he's now going to give us the most wondrous example of humility that we have to look to and to follow after. And it's the example of Christ Jesus. And so he goes on in verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he's going to go on and give us the example of Christ that we should be following after in regard to humility. But I want to talk about verses 6 through 11 before we actually read them. Uh, this is, scholars are sort of pretty unanimously agreed upon this, that this is an early church hymn. Uh, that, that even predates Paul's writing here of Philippians. So it's not like Paul wrote this hymn right here. He just sort of penned it uh, and put together this, this song in, in the early church. That even before he wrote Philippians, this hymn was already in existence. It was a hymn of the early church. And here Paul is taking it up and using it in his letter, of course, at the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. But he's using this hymn that the Philippian believers he's writing to would have been familiar with. And he uses it because it perfectly illustrates his point of, uh, regarding humility. It provides a perfect example. Uh, and, you know, the reality is we can't know for certain is Paul using the hymn word for word. It's not like we have this early Christian hymn in its original text and we know and we can match them up. Uh, right, we, we don't know that. Is Paul using it word for word, or does he take this early Christian hymn and just sort of tweak it a little bit to meet his needs in this letter? Again, we don't, we don't know. Uh, but clearly, this is some sort of early church hymn that Paul is using here and referencing, quoting here, uh, to drive home his point related to humility. So your attitude should be that, uh, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, so again, we get this wonderful statement here. We see it elsewhere in Scripture here, but, but clearly affirmed that Christ Jesus is indeed God himself. He is God the Son. This is his very nature. He is God. He is divine, right? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Some of the questions sort of, what's, what's being said here? What's being intended? What's spoken of here? So, okay, we have God the Son here, Jesus Christ, who is in very nature God. He's God but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He certainly is equal with God, meaning God the Father here, in regard to his very nature and being. He is divine, but he didn't consider it something to be grasped. And the sense here is that he didn't sort of insist on divine honors and privileges, sort of, uh, to put it another way, it, he didn't have the mindset of, I'm God the Son, and so I'm seated on the throne in heaven above all, and I will never get down off of my throne. I'm going to stay here exalted overall in my rightful place, uh, as he rightfully holds. Instead, his mindset was that of 
even though that's rightfully something I could cling to and grasp, sort of that divine honor of being in heaven on the throne over all that divine privilege, that, that exalted state, yet even though I could rightfully lay claim to that, and, and, and indeed it is rightfully his, yet he doesn't insist upon it and yet is willing then to humble himself to the point of taking on humanity, a human form, human nature, uh, becoming a human being, coming to this earth, but even going further to the point of death, and in fact, sort of the, the worst, most shameful death you could imagine at that time, and that was death on a cross. And so that's sort of what's being said here. He is indeed in very nature God. That's who he is. But he doesn't insist on sort of staying in his exalted state in heaven on the throne, having that sort of divine honor and privilege overall, but rather says, no, even though that's sort of rightfully mine by my very nature, I'm not going to cling to it. And I'm willing to humble myself even to the point of becoming a human being, right, taking on human nature and ultimately dying and dying on a cross. So that's what's being said. And, and this will sort of get fleshed out a little bit more as we read on. So, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, a little more literally, but emptied himself. And again, emptied himself of sort of those divine honors and privileges, emptied himself of that sort of exalted state and standing in heaven on the throne overall, uh, right, to then come to this earth, become a human being, and ultimately go to a cross and die there. So emptied himself of that divine honor and privilege. So, but emptied himself, taking the, the very nature of a servant, meaning becoming one of us, a human being, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, again, sort of just reiterating the same thing. He became a human being, humbled himself to that point. But then it goes further. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And again, not just that, not just any old death and humbled himself to that point, but the worst, most shameful death you could experience, even death on a cross, right? So we get here this beautiful picture of, of Christ humbling himself. Even though he's God himself has every right to sort of stay in that exalted state, seated on his throne overall, and could rightfully grasp that and lay claim to it. Instead, he says, yeah, it's rightfully mine by my very nature, yet I'm willing to let that go, at least for a time. Of course, now he's back on the throne, but at least let that go for a time and, and sort of empty himself of that sort of divine honor and exalted state and standing. It says, I'm willing to take on human flesh, become a human being, even die, and in fact, even experience the most shameful and worst death possible, death on a cross. But then it doesn't end there. This hymn goes on. That's sort of the, the humbling of Christ, how he humbled himself, but now we get his exaltation. Reading on verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right, so we see this, this pattern here, right? Christ humbles himself, even though he's greatly exalted, God the Son, yet he humbles himself to sort of the lowest place imaginable. And yet then what does God the Father do? He exalts him, in fact, to the highest place imaginable, right? He exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? He exalts him to the highest place, right? Gives him the name that's above every name that, again, every knee, and this is without qualification, every single person 
period, end of story, will ultimately bow before him, right? Christ is given that highest place, that exalted place. And this is a pattern, certainly, that, that Christ exemplifies here, but we see this pattern, in fact, all throughout Scripture, the idea of those who humble themselves, God then exalts. And again, then the sort of the flip side of that, those who exalt themselves, God then humbles. Uh, and in fact, we have Jesus himself stating this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, right? This is just sort of the pattern of how God operates. Those who exalt themselves in pride, God will bring them low and humble them. But those who appropriately humble themselves before God, what does God do in turn? He exalts them. And again, Christ here serves as the perfect example of this, though he's God and again, rightfully could lay claim to, to that highest place. He's God the Son, right, seated on the throne overall, yet he doesn't sort of cling to that, but says, no, I'm willing to humble myself. Even though that's my rightful place in obedience to the Father, I'm willing to humble myself, leave the throne, leave those divine, that divine honor and privilege behind, go out to the earth, become a human being, still fully divine, of course, but, but becoming fully a human as well, uh, and ultimately die and die on a cross. I'm willing to humble myself to that extent. But again, then God exalts him to the highest place. And Paul's saying, this is the example that you should be following. This is what he's saying to the Philippian church. Again, he has in mind, I want to see unity in the body of Christ. But toward that end, we need to see humility in the body of Christ. And so he gives them this perfect example, this perfect example of humility, and it's Christ Jesus. And he says, right? Have that same attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He wants to see every Christ follower here in the Philippian church. Uh, and again, you could go beyond the Philippian church and say, this is Paul's desire for, for believers everywhere. It's, it's God's desire. It's in scripture for believers everywhere throughout all ages uh, to follow this example of Christ Jesus and, and to live out humility, to be humble in their lives. Uh, and I think all too often our natural inclination, if we're going to be honest about it, is sort of to puff ourselves up in pride. It's just sort of part of our, our sinful uh, nature. That's just a reality. You can even sort of rewind and go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve. And you think of even that first instance of, of rebellion, eating the fruit of the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eating that fruit that they weren't to, to eat. Uh, at the root of that, to some extent, uh, central to sort of their rebellion there is, is pride, is arrogance. The pride of thinking, even though God is God and we know that, and therefore we are to obey him, yet nonetheless, what did they in effect do? Say, I want to be my own, my own boss. I don't want God to be my boss. I don't want God to be God in my life. I want to be my own God. I want to sort of deify myself in my own life. I want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. And that is, in a sense, sort of arrogance and pride in the most extreme case to say, God, I don't want you to be my boss. I don't want you to have your rightful place as God in my life. I want to take your place. I want to have the place of God in my life. And that is pride in the extreme. And so even if we think about it, any and every sin in our lives at some, in some sense sort of comes down to pride, the pride of, of saying, I want to have God's place in my life. I don't want God to be God. I want to be God in my own life and be my own boss. And so in a sense, at the root of every sin, there's sort of the issue of pride, us wanting to, in a sense, deify ourselves and take God's rightful place in our lives. 
And, and, and we see it in our lives, even, you know, just lived out in our lives day after day after day, the reality of pride. Some of us probably more significantly than others. There are probably some of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we'd say, yeah, you know, I, I struggle with pride a good bit in my life. Maybe you could even ask your spouse, and if your spouse were asked honestly, or you asked your spouse and said, hey, you know, do I sort of have a little bit of a pride issue at times? Your spouse might go, yeah, you do. You think you're kind of pretty great and awesome. And maybe they would say, you know, you are pretty intelligent and quite capable and quite competent and so forth. But sometimes you kind of like let that go to your head, and you just sort of think you're better than everyone, and you have all these, you think your ideas are golden and so forth. And uh, probably that's the case for some of us. That's probably a reality. There are some of us who maybe uh, are a little bit better at uh, living out humility in our lives. We're a little bit humble. But the reality is, again, if we're still going to be honest with ourselves, there are still areas where, where pride kind of lurks in our lives, where maybe we pride ourselves on certain things. We like to have our egos stroked a little bit in certain ways. That's probably a reality, undoubtedly, for each and every one of us. And so this is something that, that we all have to work on. Again, maybe to varying degrees. Some of us might struggle with it a little bit more than others. But it's something that Paul, and, and again, God is greatly concerned about. That's why it's here in Scripture. Uh, we as sinful, fallen human beings have a significant pride issue. That's sort of our natural default position. And that's not what God desires in us. What he desires is humility. And again, if we're thinking even from a practical standpoint of we want to see unity in the body of Christ, we need to be living out humility, because that is what fosters unity within the body of Christ. And so as I think of, you know, well, so what's our, our big application? What's, what's our takeaway here? Uh, it, it's somewhat simple and straightforward. It's not like things have, have changed, right? Really, things are quite the same in today's day and age as compared to Paul's day and age. Uh, just as Paul was concerned about unity in the Philippian church, and that doesn't mean that they were experiencing great disunity by any means, uh, but nonetheless, it's just something that Paul is always on guard against. He recognizes that the, the enemy's out there, and the enemy loves to sow division within churches. Uh, the enemy loves to do that, whereas Christ delights in unity in his body in the church. And so, again, this is something Paul's always sort of focused on, has at the forefront of his minds. And it, it's the same for me. I think we're a church where there's a lot of unity within the body of Christ here. But at the same time, the enemy loves to, to sow division with the church, and it's something we ought to be on guard against and just recognize that, that uh, the enemy is out there working, and it can all too quickly happen that a church that is experiencing unity can suddenly experience division and disunity and factions, and, and that, can, that can happen and does happen. It's a reality in churches in lots of places. And so we just always want to be on guard. It certainly is my heart's desire just to see unity here in the body of Christ, even as we have, have now, but to see it flourish and continue and just be fostered all the more. And toward that end, I just want to see humility. And I don't think that we're a church with egos all over the place and so much pride left and right. I don't think that's New Hope Chapel. But again, nonetheless, I think the reality is that we all have struggles with pride in, in our lives to varying degrees. And that's not something that, that honors God. It's not something that he desires. And it's not something that fosters unity uh, in the church. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us to really strive to live out and exhibit within our heart of hearts uh, humility. To, to really follow the example of Christ Jesus here. We have just the most wondrous, most perfect uh, just over-the-top example of humbling of oneself, right? One who had every reason not to humble himself and, and rightfully claimed the highest place, and yet he was willing to humble himself. Whereas we're these low, fallen, sinful creatures, we have every reason and ought to to humble ourselves. 
Uh, and so let's follow the example of Christ Jesus. Let's truly humble ourselves. Let's live out humility. Let's see the pride that lingers in our hearts because it does to varying degrees. Let's see that pride dissipate. Let's put it to death more and more. And, and let's come before the Holy Spirit and say, I need this change deeply within me. I know I have pride that lurks in my heart. I know I like my ego stroked at times. I know I think overly highly of myself in a way that's not right and appropriate. And Holy Spirit, just, just change my heart. Give me that Christ-like humility that we see here in this passage in verses six through eight. Let, let me exhibit that in my heart and in my life and live that out, that we might honor God more in our lives but also that it might then foster unity within the body of Christ. And so I just want to challenge us to do that. Let's grow in regard to humility. And if we do that, we're told how God responds, right? Those who exalt themselves, God humbles, but those who humble themselves, right, God will exalt. And so if we're faithful to this, if we live out humility, God's going to bless us. He's going to exalt us. Uh, and it's going to honor God as we live out humility as we're called to in our lives. But also, not only is it going to honor God, it's going to foster unity in the body of Christ that, that God is greatly pleased in, that he delights in, and again, that honors him. So let's do that. Let's live out humility. Follow Christ's example as we're challenged to do here by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and may that honor God and may that foster unity in the body of Christ. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this, this passage. It's a great reminder, great reminder, Lord Jesus, of, of what you've done for us, that though you were on high, exalted over all, you didn't insist on clinging to that exalted position, but came down here to earth, humbled yourself, took on flesh, became one of us, and then ultimately went to a cross. You humbled yourself in the greatest way imaginable. And you provide for us, just as this passage talks about, a great example of humility. And we know that in our sinfulness, pride likes to rear its ugly head in our lives. It's just an honest reality for us. We may not like to admit it, but it's true. For some of us, maybe more than others, but there's pride in our hearts for each and every one of us. And we need to put that to death in our lives and live out humility, following your example, the pattern you set for us here, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, do that work within our hearts to cultivate that humility within us. And as we live that out, may you be honored in it, Lord God, but may it also foster unity in the body of Christ as you care about so dearly, Lord Jesus. You want to see unity in your church, your body. And so may that humility foster that, that your body might better honor you and glorify you. And as we humble ourselves, may you do what you say you will do, Lord God, and then exalt us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.